Today we're going to start a mini-series leading up to our resurrection celebration at Easter. The series is called Rescued, and it's focusing on different aspects of the work of Christ through his death and resurrection. Very often as Christians, as believers in the scriptures, we can read the Bible often, talk about Jesus often, and yet still not see the wood for the trees. So very often we can overlook or read over and not take time to meditate on the wonders of God's work through Jesus Christ. The word atonement basically means to to make payment for. And when Jesus came to atone for the sins of God's people, he done a thorough work, a work that has many different facets, many different angles from which we can look at it and understand it. We recognize that Jesus is the ultimate rescuer. Superman who? Batman who? Dark Knight, about Dark Knight. The Avengers, that's the one that's coming out, right? Is that going to be a good one, Shabazz? You don't know, because these guys are hardcore film critics, you know. Him and Rich T. Yeah. The, the, the Avengers. But all of these mythical, fictional characters actually find the roots of their essence and meaning truly in the person of Christ. Because he is actually, and not fictionally, but factually, the rescuer. Amen? Amen. And so we want to take the next few weeks to give a series of messages that looks at different angles of Christ's rescuing work. And how many of you know we need rescuing, right? We need rescuing. I don't know about you. I know that I need rescuing. And you don't have to go far to recognize that actually the society in which we live needs rescuing. And there's only one person who's fit for the task. There's only one person qualified. Furthermore, it's not even just that he's qualified, but he's been there, done that, and burst out the t-shirt. That's how he's big. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to encourage you to take some time to reflect as we go through these messages and also invite family and friends because we want to make these messages very accessible in an evangelistic sense so that anyone, wherever they're at in terms of relationship with God, whether walking with the Lord daily hand in hand or they're far from God, peering in, wondering what's that all about, that whoever will be able to come and appreciate the wonders of our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for sending us a rescuer. We thank you, Lord, for recognizing our need even before we did. We thank you, Lord, for 
being so faithful as to make yourself known to us. Lord, some of us have felt like we've experienced searching in our lives where we have been looking for something more. And yet really, Lord, we recognize that it was you drawing us by your spirit, sorting our appetite so that we would thirst for more. Causing us to be dissatisfied with the things of the world that we might hunger for righteousness, even when we didn't know what it was. And so, Lord, we look to you, our rescuer. And we thank you because you are good and you do all things well. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we meditate on the wonder of your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this first session is rescued from responsibility. Rescued from responsibility. And you might think, well, that's kind of like, I mean, responsibility isn't that a fact of life. And we do recognize that responsibility is a fact of life. Responsibility is something that we carry, whether we like it or not. Responsibility is something that we have to deal with. So how is it that we would be rescued from responsibility? How is it that we need to be rescued from responsibility? Furthermore, isn't responsibility a good thing? Well, all of us at some point or another, I'm sure, have felt the weight and burden of responsibility. All of us, at some point or another, have struggled with responsibility. Can I get a witness? Ever felt those times when your responsibilities are just too much to bear? When they're all on top and it's just unbearable? You see, responsibility is something that, yes, we experience in life. Yes, it's something that we have to endure, something that we have to uphold. And yet at the same time, we recognize that, you know what? Responsibility is not easy. Responsibility is not easy. And there's one responsibility that is the most grievous of all. You may have a very responsible job. You may be a surgeon in a hospital. And every time you stand over the operating table, you recognize that someone else's life is in your hands. Many of you work in the public sector. You work in schools. You work with other people's children. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. Other people's children. And sometimes at the end of the day, as I know it's true for teachers that I've worked with, and myself also, I I think to myself, my days. Some teachers, I'm sure, go home at the end of the day wondering if if their parents only knew. Mm. (laughs) 
There are certain colleagues that you may work with and you think to yourself, this person is actually really not fit to be in charge of other people's children. It's a responsibility. Some have maybe recently taken on the responsibility of a mortgage or you're considering that and you're thinking about the weight that comes with that responsibility because you know with every mortgage offer there's a small print be advised that your house will be repossessed if you cannot give me and you're thinking about man mortgage and for some people it fills you with fear it's mother's day mothers know about responsibility Am I lying? Mums, can I get a witness? Mothers know about responsibility. Furthermore, some mothers were left with the responsibility, literally left holding the baby. Mm -hmm. And so you more than know about responsibility because you're the only one who's been endeavouring to try and be responsible for this young, ungrateful person who ain't trying to be accountable to you. And you've endured the pain of that and the challenge. But there is one responsibility that is greater and it's the responsibility for sin. Imagine the individual, let's call him Jack, because I don't think there's no one here called Jack, so you won't feel like I'm talking to you. And Jack's been unemployed for a number of years and he finally is able to get a job. And it's a security job. And, you know, they're training him up, promising, pr- promising him a, a, a great role in the, the Olympics. And, you know, in the meantime, they're, they're, they're posting him in an in office complex where he's got a, a simple responsibility to do the lock-up round, make sure everything's secure, make sure no one untoward comes in the building after everyone's gone. Make sure all the lights are off, everything's fine. Third week into the job, and Jack does his lock-up round, lights out, locks all the entrances, exits, goes back to his security desk to put on Emmerdale or whatever it is that he's going to watch while he's there passing time. But there's a desk lamp that he's missed. And this desk lamp, as often many of us will identify, it has a bulb that is too high a wattage for the lamp. So I mean, you know that feeling, right? It says, I only put 20 watts in here. And you think, 20 watts, what good is that to anyone? So you put a 60-watt bulb in there because you need to have it bright when you're doing your studies. But this desk lamp is a dodgy desk lamp. Not only does it have a bulb that's too bright, but the, the arm that holds the lamp up is weak. And given time, it slowly creeps, 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 creeps 
until the lamp is on the desk. Now there are papers on the desk. And over time, the lamp creeps and creeps and creeps until it hits the desk. And it stays there all night until the papers get hot enough to catch fire. Now by this time, it's 1 a.m., Jack's tucked into his sandwiches already by about midnight with his hot flask and his rice and peas. What a combination, right? Sandwiches and rice and peas. The man that likes to eat. And he's feeling a bit dozy. And there's no signs of life and he's, he's, he's dipping off. And he doesn't realize the fire that's building up to the point when the alarms go off, Jack's, he's a heavy sleeper. Fire brigade are banging on the door. Jack jumps up, surprised to see them. Now you can imagine the office is, it's been incinerated. Thankfully, it didn't spread to the whole complex. But they had highly sensitive paperwork in there. Computers and such like. That were all destroyed. Can you imagine the feeling in Jack's gut at that point when he recognizes that he was responsible Put yourself in Jack's shoes. How would you feel knowing that it was your negligence that caused all this thousands of pounds worth of damage and worse? Now, hopefully that is a, an example, a tangible, real example of how it really feels to be responsible for sin. How it really feels to be responsible for sin. Because ultimately, God looks at each one of us and he holds us responsible for our sin. And we are Guilty, bang to rights. We can't say, well, the devil made me do it like Eve tried. She tried to shift responsibility. I'm not responsible for what happened because it was the devil that made me do it. Or it was my wife that made me do it like Adam tried. You see, our natural inclination is to shift responsibility onto someone else. Especially when we know it's going to be a responsibility that's too much to bear. And yet God recognized the part to play that each of them had, but he also held each one responsible. There was no getting away from it. 
Sin is such that we are responsible. How many times have we heard someone get caught by the police and give the excuse, I heard voices. The devil told me to do it. And yet ultimately, in the eyes of human law, they are responsible. The responsibility for sin is something that ultimately we are all responsible for. The scripture says it like this. The wages of sin is death. The payment, the just reward, the right response for sin is death. That statement right there clearly declares the fact that every individual is responsible. You do a day's work, you get a day's pay. You do the crime, you do the time. That's what that statement is saying. And so think for a moment. If God was to have you stand before him right now, what would you be concerned about him questioning you about? Just think about that for a moment. What would you be concerned about God questioning you about? What would you be concerned about God revealing and exposing before the host of heaven? What would you be concerned about taking responsibility for? You see, we all recognize that we're weak. We all make mistakes, right? It's true. But the, that doesn't say that we merely make mistakes. That says that we intentionally defy God. It's more than just a mistake. We do make mistakes because of our weaknesses. And the Lord understands our weakness, right? But fundamentally, foundationally, the Lord understands more than that. He understands that we are sinners at heart. And it's not just a matter of, well, we inherited Adam's sin and, you know, it's because of Adam, it's not my fault. So we're the victim. If we were in that place, we would have done the same thing. We are not divine. We are sinful by nature. And so the wages, the payment, the just reward of sin is death. Now God done something. In Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. And throughout this series, we'll be looking at verses from Isaiah. And looking at what God has done. God done something in Christ. This was a prophecy that was given 700 years 
before Christ, before crucifixion. And it is a chapter in the Bible that speaks so accurately of the suffering of Christ that even to this day, it is the strongest means of um, demonstrating to the very Jews that denied Christ that truly he is the Messiah. They have nothing in their frame of understanding or experience that fulfills this prophecy remotely near the way that Christ did. And so this is 700 years before Jesus. This is about three to 400 years before crucifixion was even invented. And we see the prophet Isaiah say this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We are loaded with griefs. The word griefs there relates to physical weakness. It's, this verse is not specifically speaking about sin. Although that issue is addressed specifically in this chapter. This verse is not speaking about sin specifically not in a legal judicial sense but what it's recognizing is that we are physically loaded with grief you know you have some people who they are enslaved to addictions and physically find that they are incapable of resisting because their body has become so accustomed and so dependent on. And yet some of us, we may not be enslaved to any kind of narcotics. We may still rejoice at the day that we gave up smoking. The day we stopped having to go and buy 10 pound bags of weed. <clears throat> Flashbacks. That's it, yeah? <laughs> All right. And yet we recognize that we within ourselves, we, we, we have inherent character flaws. We have weaknesses that sometimes we can't even explain. We don't understand how they got there too well. Sometimes we try and play pop psychologist. Well, you know, if my dad was in my life and he taught me discipline and da, da, da. But we don't really know. We don't really understand. And even all that we do understand, we still can't master it. Loaded down with griefs. And yet, he, being Jesus, the Messiah, has borne. And that word born means to lift. Not merely account for, but to actually lift off like the lifting of a burden, like the soldier who's ran 20 kilometers with his pack, kit pack on his back, weighing five kilos. And he gets to the end 
of the 20 kilometers and he's smashed and he's so tired he can't even get the pack off his own back. And the officer comes along and lifts the pack off, lightening the load. And this speaks of Jesus actually lifting off us our griefs, our physical weaknesses. It goes on to say that he carried our sorrows. And that word sorrows relates to the anguish of the soul, emotional and intellectual pain. Some of us have some very strained family relationships that cause us deep anguish in our souls. Sometimes causing us to say things and do things that we know we ought not to, that we don't even want to. Like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, the things that I ought to do, I do not, and the things that I don't want to do, I do. Who would deliver me? Oh, wretched man that I am. And we live in that place and we feel like, is there anyone who can help me? Is there anyone who can rescue me? Through Christ, our sorrows have been carried. Not just lifted, lifted and taken. Transferred away from us. This is what Jesus done. He done this for us. He done it through not just his death on the cross. Let us not forget that Christ lived an obedient life. He lived and fulfilled the law that we could not. He fulfilled it to the letter. When he came to the River Jordan, John was baptizing. And he, he went to be baptized and, and John the Baptist was like, no, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, it must be so that all righteousness will be fulfilled. You see, Jesus was the epitome of righteousness. The complete and utter fulfillment of the law. Some of us park on a double yellow line. Run into the shop. Snoring away at the back of our minds. The queue looks a bit long and we start feeling a bit nervous. <laughs> if we come out and see a ticket, it breaks our heart. We start to experience the sorrows of the soul. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're wrong. We can't argue with the, the, the traffic warden as much as we might like to or we may have done in the past. But the most we can do is beg mercy. Ah, oh, boss, please, boss, boss.
And yet Jesus lived the perfect life, qualifying him to die the death, sinless Lamb of God. And so we esteemed him stricken. And the reality is that you ask Mikey P and the guys that go out at Brixton, we go out there and people will hear that and it's like, yeah, and what? Jesus was just another guy. Good for him. So he got killed by the Romans, if it even happened, and what? As if Jesus deserved it. In the primary sense, it talks about the fact that most people at most times, apart from the work of God's spirit, working in their hearts, will look at the fact that Jesus died and not really think nothing of it and think, well, cool, he deserved it, isn't it? And we were once in that place. We were once in that place where, by our very defiance of God, we were promoting the death of Christ. We were esteeming it as a good thing. And not good because it was going to help us, but good because, you know what, it don't really matter to us. We esteemed him stricken. And yet it was because of us. He was recommended by the Father for death. He was put forward for death. He was commended for death. John 3.16. I'm sure we could all say it together. For God so loved the world that he... So that... Shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus was given. He was put forward. And it wasn't like those moments when, you know, you might be in the workplace and they say, can I get any volunteers to go and do the, um, the dustbin duty? Remember those days when you used to work in McDonald's? And somebody kind of pushes you forwards and volunteers you and you're like, gnashing your teeth, ready to slap someone. Jesus was a willing and obedient volunteer. He gave himself as a sacrifice. One who is a substitute in our place. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. And so right there, we clearly see the substitutionary nature where it was him for us. Him taking what we should have took. Jesus, the substitute, the willing and obedient sacrifice. And in doing so, he took responsibility. He took responsibility for our sin. Now, when you're under a burden of responsibility, right? You know when it's on top? You've got more month than money. 
You, you ain't getting no hours at work. You're trying to get overtime. You, you know, everything is just against you. Washing machines broken down. Cars giving trouble. As does cancel the shopping and you don't know why. And everything's just messed up. And you just feel the weight of your responsibility just piling up, weighing up. The last thing you want in that moment is someone to come and tell you how to do it better. Is that what we want? Well, you know what? Come and sit down and let me just kind of give you some advice. Now, if you do this and if you just do that, you're at your wit's end. You're smashed. You've got no energy left. And what proves to be the greatest blessing is when someone steps in and says, here, let me. You're at work and the caseloads are piling up. The reports you got to write. And someone says, here, let me. Let me take that off you. Let me lighten your load. Isn't that the most blessed thing? When we are relieved of responsibility that we know we can't manage. None of us can take responsibility for our sin. Because it will mean eternal death. End of story. And yet Jesus came and took responsibility. Relieving us of responsibility for our sin. Responsibility can be a grievous burden to bear. It can be a grievous weight. And yet Jesus lifts it. And not only does Jesus lift responsibility from our shoulders, as a sacrifice he smashes it. He smashes that responsibility. He took it from us once and for all. Just think about that for a moment. That through faith in Christ's work on the cross, having repented of sin, trusting in Jesus, that his payment is sufficient and it alone, he alone is sufficient to rescue us and you trust that means that God will never again hold you responsible for your sin. I don't know about you, but to me, that's relieving. That's relieving. That Jesus would take responsibility for my wrongs that I genuinely done, that I genuinely deserve to be punished for. Wow, God is good through the sacrifice of Christ. You see, Jesus became the scapegoat. The scapegoat. Now, most of us are familiar with that term, right? Scapegoat. When someone's ready to point the finger at someone else, in order for them to take the blame. 
And Jesus became that scapegoat. And that term actually comes from the Bible. That term actually comes from Leviticus chapter 16. On the Day of Atonement, when Aaron had to go before the tent of meeting, and he had two goats. And one he was to lay his hands upon, confessing the sins of the nation. And as he confessed the sins of the nation, laying his hands upon this goat, he was causing this goat to now be identified with the sins of the nation. And having done so, they would let the goat go into the wilderness, never to come back again. And that was the scapegoat. And that speaks of Christ and his work in lifting our burden of sin. Carrying away the anguish of soul that is sorrow. It's a picture of Jesus taking the blame for you. Jesus is that scapegoat. And in becoming the scapegoat and relieving us of that responsibility, we become responsible. Being relieved of our burden of sin, we become responsible. Able to respond. Knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? It don't matter how much your lecturer is running up his mouth. I'm going to flop you. Yeah, your plagiarism and blah, blah, blah. Listen, if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. And when we become anxious and when we become oppressed by the weight of responsibility, even by the very own weaknesses in our characters and our very own flaws that cause us to act in irresponsible ways, we know we have a great high priest that we can go to and cry out to and who hears us. We have a father in heaven who's ear is listening out for our cries because of Jesus the scapegoat who took responsibility for our sin and so such was the nature of Christ's sacrifice truly the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so maybe you're here today and you look at your own life and you realize that, you know what? I've made a mess. I have been irresponsible. I have made a mess of my life. Sometimes I don't even understand how or why. 
I end up in this situation. I recognize I'm defective. And God says, yep, you're right. You are defective. We're all defective. And it's not excusable. God quite rightly says, and I will hold you responsible. And yet, I have given my son that if you would put your trust in him, not only would he relieve you of the responsibility for your sin, having take, become the scapegoat, taking the blame for your sin, but he will empower you to overcome by the indwelling presence of his spirit. So that day by day, you can experience victory. You can experience triumph over the weight of responsibility, especially that which sin brings. And so God calls on you today. Stop trying to do it yourself. Stop trying to take responsibility for that one thing that you can't. It's out of your league, it's out of your reach. No matter how disciplined and diligent you are to the point of being compulsive. To the point of being obsessive. It's another form of fear. It's another form of anxiety. Jesus says, come to me and find rest. Rest for your soul. Why? Because he's taken it upon himself. And in doing so, he helps us to be responsible. He helps us to make responsible choices and decisions. Trust him. Trust in Jesus, the rescuer, who rescues us from the responsibility of our sin. Because he and he alone is the authorized scapegoat. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we recognize our flaws and our weaknesses. Lord, we recognize even just the weaknesses in our physical makeup. Lord, for some of us, it's, it's laziness. And we just love sleep. Lord, for some of us, it's, it's gluttony. And we just can't keep our hands off certain foods. For some of us, Lord, it's, it's ailments that cause us to be weak. And we recognize that in one way or another, all of these things are a manifestation of sin and yet Lord you smashed the power of sin Father you smashed the power of sin through the sacrifice of your son whom you gave for us 
He who bore our griefs, who lifted our griefs off our shoulders and who carried our sorrows. We thank you, Father, and we ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us. First step of repentance is acknowledging we're wrong, acknowledging we're guilty. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Make us anew. Renew us, Lord. Thank you for the work of your spirit who regenerates our hearts, granting us a a, a renewed nature, making us partakers of you. Thank you, Lord. Bless and strengthen us, we pray, as we thank you for taking responsibility for our sin, even though you didn't have to. In Jesus' name, amen. Stillness, I know that you.